Hi, and welcome to the Fertility Warriors podcast. I'm Robin Birkin, and I am so grateful and honoured that you're here today. From my own journey with infertility and loss to becoming a mind-body practitioner and holistic fertility coach, it is my sincere hope that I can help make your journey to conceive lighter, more supported, and easier by sharing deep emotional well-being guidance, doable conception tips, and real talk about what infertility and loss looks like. I'm here with you every step of the way. Now let's begin. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Fertility Warriors. We are doing so many episodes at the moment about nutrition, about lifestyle and about fertility food and we're busting a lot of myths. We're having a bit of a deep dive into some of the hiccups that people may run into. And today it is my pleasure to welcome fertility dietitian Sophia to the podcast. Her Instagram handle is ttc.nutritionist. So I'm sure you've all seen her. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be talking to you. And I got to say, my American heart loves your Australian accent. <laughs> I think it's a thing. Like, I really, I think there's a thing about Aussies and people down under. It's like this mysterious kind of country or like mm-hmm. island down, somewhere down the bottom and nobody really knows what happens. And even I'm from Western Australia in Perth, and that's even more... Oh, Perth, that's like the last stop before the end of the world, isn't it? That's like really far out there. We need to go. It's like a three hour plane ride to get even or more to get to another state, let alone get to another. Yeah. So we are, it's in Australian, we'd say like, it's whoop whoop. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that means. (laughs) Yes. It's like, I don't know, whoop whoop, like. The back of nowhere, anyway. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's where I live, which it's, I must say, it's been quite convenient being somewhere so isolated because of what's happening in the world at the moment. Mm-hmm. So because it's so much harder for people to get here, not many people have, but thank you. So talk yeah. to me about, so on a day-to-day basis, what do you do? How did you become to specialize in fertility nutrition? Happy to share. Okay. So, um, I am a registered dietitian nutritionist. So what that means is I am technically, you know, technical terms here, medical terms. I'm a medically recognized nutrition expert. So here in the States, we like to make everybody have a lot of licenses. We like to make everybody have a lot of letters behind their name. We like to make anybody who's going to do anything, go to a ton of school. And uh, so that's what I did. Um, I got my degree in nutrition and then um, you go on to do like a residency, a supervised practice, which is what makes you a dietitian, just kind of like how you can graduate med school and you know, you're a doctor, but like you, you don't know how to do anything. You need to go actually work and do a residency supervised practice before you're ready to, you know, start seeing patients on your own. So that's the process here in the U.S. So I went to a naturopathic medical school called Bastyr University, and it's kind of like Hogwarts, but for health. (laughs) We call it Hellforts. It's like it's like in the woods on a lake, very secluded in the Pacific Northwest. And um, 
you're totally in this bubble where like everybody eats kale and quinoa and makes their own kombucha and like it's you're in this super health bubble so I graduated from that school like growing my own herbs and like foraging for nettles in the forest and then went on to do a traditional allopathic residency which is like totally different where everybody like my preceptors were like drinking diet coke and I was like oh my god I could, I've never I haven't even seen a can of diet coke in yes. years yes and uh so it's like a totally different world so in working with me you kind of get the best of both worlds mm -hmm. I went to this super health school where you're learning therapeutic cooking and herbs and Chinese medicine and everything like that and then I actually went and worked in the real world where people are not eating kale and quinoa for breakfast. Mm -hmm. And uh, I learned kind of how to help people in a different setting. So that's my education background. From there, um, I, I don't know, I just, I tried on a bunch of different hats as you do, you know, do I want to work in sports performance? Do I want to work in men's health? Do I like cardiovascular cancer care? What is it? You know, it's kind of what your supervised practice is for. You do a bunch of different things to figure out what do you love? And I just found myself, you know, I just loved working with women who wanted to be moms. Because they were the most motivated, the most dedicated, because even working with, with women that are already moms, as much as we hate it, probably on this podcast, there's people who are moms on accident. And there's people who are becoming moms that don't actually really want to do that. It's just the path they're on because they're pregnant now. And that's where they're going with their life. Working with people who want to be parents, working with women who want to be moms, that was a population that was ready to get down to business. I have never met such motivated individuals in my life. Yeah. And, and you know this, you, you work with yes. them every day. You are, you are <laughs> this woman yes. and um, I am as well. And uh, so that's what got me started on this path is I found that I loved working with these women and you know, from there, it was like when I would be reading nutrition research and the stuff I would be looking at, you know, we were just laying around staring into your phone in the evening. Uh, I found that, you know, the articles I would be wanting to read were the ones that pertained to fertility. Mm -hmm. That was what even in my free time I was interested yeah. in looking at. So yeah. I was like, okay, this, this is my jam. And so once I started educating myself, once I started kind of putting myself out there, like, just having friends that were struggling to conceive and being like, well, let me see if I've got something that can help you. And, and that, that time, that first time when one of my girlfriends sends me a picture and says, does this look positive to you? You mm -hmm. know, after she'd been trying for two years and she's yeah. in like the bathroom of a Walmart and, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, there's a second line there that I just was like, oh my gosh. I am a part of something sacred and vital and important. And I am throwing a lifeline to people in a place where they have very little hope, very little help. And um, so from there, I just decided to throw everything else away. I don't care about men's health. I mean, I do a little bit when it comes to fertility and, you know, <laughs> I'm married to a man. I care about his health, um, but like, I don't really, I'm, I'm not going to stay up at night reading about different protein supplements for weightlifters. I'm not going to be 
interested in looking at different cardiovascular interventions. Like that just did not interest me in any way, the way that serving women who want to be moms or want to have another baby, um, that sets my heart on fire. That's what makes me feel alive. And so that's what I decided I was going to keep on doing. And here I am. Mm, I love that. So I feel like it's a little bit different in Australia that in Australia, generally people become a dietitian or a nutritionist and a dietitian is someone who will go to university. And this is a generalization. This might not be entirely true, but typically I feel like like dietitian path in Australia to some degree is a very much this more conventional allopathic style, whereas mm-hmm. nutritionists are very closely aligned with naturopaths and except for like a few little differences. So like a nutritionist will usually prescribe like supplements, whereas a naturopath will prescribe like herbs and mm-hmm. a nutritionist, nutritionists do also go to university Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but it's very much more like a natural type thing. So, but usually people aren't a nutritionist and a dietitian. Is that a, is that a bit different in the United States? It's a little different in the U.S. So when I was finishing my supervised practice, you had an option of being just a registered dietitian or adding on that N, that RDN, becoming a registered, registered dietitian nutritionist. As if it wasn't hard enough to spell, we have to, you know, add more. <laughs> Make it longer. And uh, I know, I'm like, why do I have to be nutritionist on Instagram? Like, nobody can freaking spell this. This is so stupid. People are trying to find me and they're like, oh my God, how many T's are in this word? So um, anyway, In the States, uh, nutritionist is an unregulated term. There is really no legislation out there about who can use this term. So you can be a nutritionist if you just read a book about vegetables and you want to start telling people you're a nutritionist. You can be a nutritionist if you have a degree in, you know, biology. You can be a nutritionist if you have a degree in finance like you you can you don't even need a degree you can just and and I'm not saying that all nutritionists are this way there are brilliant nutritionists out there that have done a ton of school and research and practice and and that are fantastic and so I'm not disparaging people that are you know quote-unquote just nutritionists Um, the dietitian it is similar to what you just described in Australia where this person goes on to work in they can work in the hospital doing, you know, part of what I did in my supervised practice, I had people that were in like terrible motor vehicle crashes and Mm -hmm. were on like a feeding tube. And I'm calculating how much of what they need based off of their medications and what procedures are going to be performed on them and everything like that. And so dietitian, there is that piece where sometimes you are doing very acute critical care. Um, but I am, I would say a non-conventional dietitian. I have taken kind of the best of both worlds, the nutritionist, the dietitian, and I have kind of made my own path where I own a business, you know, my nutrition consultation business. And I work as a dietitian at the same time. So I'm kind of like an entrepreneur slash health person. (laughs) So, um, 
I am doing something different than most dietitians. Most dietitians go on to work in a cardiac rehab floor where they're just telling everybody about cholesterol and salt and Mm -hmm. what time of day to, you know, take their medications. And, um, a lot, most dietitians I would say go that path, but I have kind of like broken away and I'm doing something different. Mm, Awesome. And so what I wanted to then ask is, which I always get a bit, it's something that I've become particularly interested in recently. So sometimes I feel like when, so for example, when you're a therapist or like mm-hmm. a psychotherapist, often you are bound by location. I can only treat patients in the state of Philadelphia. Whereas if you're a life coach, obviously they are very different but at mm-hmm. the same time, sometimes people will come to them for similar things. But if you're a life coach, you can kind of have clients all across the globe. So as a dietitian, are you mm-hmm. bound to only work with clients where you live? Yes, mm. I am. Uh, my medical, uh, technically, you know, a medical license. I can only work one-on-one with people uh, or really like group coaching as well. Um, with people in the United States. Mm, okay. So different states do have different rules, but um, dietitian wise, so far, the legislation in the States, which, uh, you know, listeners, if you live in Australia, you might not know the United States, we love laws and we love lawsuits. We love to sue. <laughs> and <laughs> The stereotype is true. If you step out of line as a practitioner, <laughs> someone is going to try to make it rich off of your mistake. So um, anyway, because of that, there are states that have different rules as far as like you have to have a license here and you have to, or maybe you need to register in some way. And um, so, you know, the United States of America, different states have different rules. Um, but I live right now in a state that doesn't require any additional licensure, that does not require any additional fees or anything like that, any registration of any kind. So because of that, because I am here, I can practice, I mean, as far as I know, I could be wrong in this, but as far as I know, I can practice with people within the United States. And in being a dietitian, it's kind of more, it's a lot more flexible than other medical professions because like, what am I telling you to eat vegetables? My God, like, is it, there's like zero potential for me to actually really harm you. (laughs) Whereas like a doctor that's like, take this medication or have this surgery or whatever, somebody could really die. Out of the spine. (laughs) Yeah. No one's going to die because I said to eat more kale. Like that's not going to (laughs) happen. And so um, it's more flexible I'm not sure, and especially during COVID, a lot of restrictions were lifted as far as like telehealth and practicing that way. And so I'm sure in some way in my practice, there's some kind of law that I'm violating at some point because there's, you know, you need to, your whole job would have to be reading laws in order to do everything to the letter. Um, So I'm sure somewhere I'm making myself liable to some kind of lawsuit. but so far, I'm pretty, to the best of my ability, I'm practicing within the guidelines of the US. I just can't, you know, I work virtually a lot of the time and I can't see a patient that's in Trinidad or in mm-hmm. India. Like I have to practice only with people that are in the United States. And, and at the same time, 
it's um, easier for me because I am American and it's so challenging for me. I've worked internationally before. Like I uh, actually worked with someone that was in Tasmania and I was like, I don't even know what's in your grocery stores. Like, what are you, I, I don't need, I, how do I even speak to you about this? You know, I, I think I mentioned like blueberries or something. And she was like, those are very expensive here. And <laughs> I was yeah. like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Because like, so for me, what I do, I help people primarily with their emotions and their coping skills. And like 60, 70% of my clients are in the United States. Um, so yeah, we need more coping skills here. Yeah. It's really, <laughs> we're not doing well. But also it's because not that many people live in Australia. So, um, mm-hmm. and I suppose having a podcast. So before we get into the meat and potatoes, one more question. Um, yeah. You're a mum now. You've, had, you've mm-hmm. now gone through the process of trying to conceive. And so comparing like have been, before you've had that experience to after, has yeah. any, did anything changed from a practical or mindset perspective having like once you'd been through that experience yourself? Yeah, a lot of things have changed. Um, First of all, I am now way more, like I really value my time now a lot more where it's like, okay, like I've got this baby at home. If I'm going to sit down with this woman to help her along, like we're going to get into the thick of it, like right freaking now. I'm not going to like soft pedal it and be like, well, maybe this week we can do this or that. I'm much more now like, okay, I've got X amount of time. We are going to get right to it. So I think my patients now see a lot more of me being like more aggressive than I used to be because before I was always so like, I don't know if I want to give you too much. I don't really want to turn your world on its ear and make you do everything differently. Um, but now I'm more like, okay, we're changing everything. Here we go. And so um, I've gotten a lot more to the point since having a baby. So professionally, that's been my one of my biggest things. Secondly, it's given me a lot more confidence because now that I'm a mom, you can hear my baby squealing in the next room. Um, now that I'm a mom, I see that this is, so important. I think more people need to try to conceive. Honestly, I think that we need more parents who are parents on purpose and Mm -hmm. that want this and are willing to make changes and work hard or, you know, sacrifice their own, you know, weekend beer or whatever in order to have this baby. Because I think those are the parents that make great parents. Mm -hmm. I think you know, not to paint with a broad brush, but you can be a wonderful parent by getting pregnant on by surprise. People do it every day. But I think there is something special to parents who had to make sacrifices, make changes, to work harder, to get pregnant, to have that healthy baby, to bring that baby home. And now that I am a mom, I see so much more of like, okay, I need to get to work. Mm -hmm. I have something valuable. My skills are important because before I I don't know, it's like insecure. Like, I don't know, am I even helping anybody? Oh, what if I'm just a charlatan? And um, 
you're a human, but now, congratulations, you're a human being. We all <laughs> right? I know now I'm more like right or wrong, like, okay, maybe I didn't do that perfectly, but that person is better off for what I just did with them than they were before they got here. So mm-hmm. even if I didn't do it perfectly, something is good. And so that, that piece too. And then overall, obviously now I see the amount of joy and fulfillment and just the legacy of my life. And like, I want other people to have what I have. I want moms to have what I have. I want you to be able to get pregnant with that healthy baby. I want you to be able to breastfeed and to, I want you to be able to have a beautiful birth. I want you to be able to do all of these things that have shaped who I am. I see the power that we have as women in becoming mothers. I think it is one of the most empowering things that you can do. And people want to say you're disempowered for having a baby and it's not feminist or whatever. I think they are dead freaking wrong. And I think that your desire to have a baby, anyone listening to this is beautiful and important and awesome. And I support you in that. And I want to help you get there. And I see that even more now that I'm a mom. So let's start taking a little segue into what we want to talk about today And you mentioned, you know, making, I've never, just like what you said at the beginning, I've never met, people will say to me when I talk about things, I don't know if that's too long. I don't know if that's too much information. Do they really want to read all that? I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand who I work with. They like fertility warriors are motivated. They want to know stuff. They want to make the changes. They're prepared to do it. And you mentioned just before that, you get into it. You're like, right, let's do this. Let's try and get this baby on board as quick as possible. Mm-hmm. But we were talking on Instagram, you did a live, and it's something that is just so passionate. I'm so passionate about that when it comes, and full disclosure, like if you go back two years on the podcast, like, you know, no one's perfect. There's things that I've said and I've said, you know, sometimes your doctor will tell you to lose weight. You need to just do that. But in the last two years, I've learned so much. I've had so many clients. I would argue a good 30% of people who I work with are in bigger bodies. Mm -hmm. And there's just some things when clients who are in bigger bodies go to fertility clinics that I'm like, "Mm, that's just not right. And it's (laughs) when doctors will not look at people's results. They won't look at anything. They won't even ask them, what do you eat on a day-to-day basis? And they'll just say, lose weight and come back. See you later. Mm-hmm. And it, I, there's something that I just. That's not healthcare. <laughs> yeah, that's not yeah. healthcare. That's, uh, yeah, I, I see where you're getting at with this. And, and yeah, I mean, I agree with you. And I think what that kind of comes down to, at least here in the States, sounds similar in Australia, is one size fits all medicine. That there's, one way we're going to do this 
and you can either hop on board or come back later when you're ready to hop on board because mm -hmm. there's there's just one way we're, we're going here and um so i talked about this which is what uh, robin and i how we kind of got together here so before you start looking at weight and fertility when you go to the fertility doctor in particular that's kind of where it comes down to like oh you need to lose weight people always ask me like what weight do i need to be to try to conceive or my doctor says i can't try until i'm at a certain weight and i'm like do you know what you can stop using condoms or stop taking pills or get your iud out anytime you damn well please all right that is up to you when you want to start trying to have a baby your doctor, the government, your neighbor, your mom, people besides you and this person you want to have the baby with, nobody but the two of you gets to decide what you want to do or when's the right time for you, okay? If you've decided that now's the right time for you, you can start trying to conceive. Mm -hmm. Now, what do we do when we've been trying and now we need to bring in other people? We need to bring in a fertility specialist. We need to bring in an OBGYN. We need to bring in a reproductive endocrinologist. Now what? So at that point, we're no longer just, okay, it's you and your partner and you want to have a baby, so that's it. And everybody in the world, the medical world, needs to bow to your will and needs to do move heaven and earth and do everything for you because you decided now's the time that you want to have a baby. It does not work like that. You can do that in your own home. If you decided that now's the time you want to have a baby, ain't nobody in the world can tell you different. Now, if you're expecting somebody to put their medical license that they've worked so hard for on the line to help you, you do have to start playing by their rules mm -hmm. because they're bound by rules. They truly are. And like we said, in the U.S., people love to sue, especially when it comes to medical malpractice. So when your doctor, you come to your doctor, you say, hey, oh, I want to have a baby. This, this, and that has happened. I'm struggling. If they are going to say, okay, I'm going to help you by giving you this medication or this surgery or whatever, they are literally putting their entire practice and their medical license on the line in offering that to you. So with that said, your doctor is taking a risk in helping you and they may not be wanting to take that risk if you don't seem like a good candidate for whatever they have got going on. Robin and I talked about this. Doctors in particular are trained and experts in two things, medication and surgery. That's what they're bringing to the table. Very, very vital things that keep us alive and let us live the way that we wanna live these days. I am very thankful for medication. I needed antibiotics last week. I had a terrible sinus infection. Thank God for medication. Listen to me, I'm healthy as can be now. Yay for medication. Surgery, right? Life-saving, wonderful thing. These are the only two things your doctor's coming to you with usually. So when you sit down with a doctor and say, I want to have a baby, I'm struggling, the doctor's basically looking at you and saying, okay, do I have a medication or a surgery for this person? And sometimes the answer is no, or not right now. 
And those answers, no and not right now, tend to come up when you are in a bigger body because your doctor is mitigating risk. We, the consumer, have browbeaten our doctors with so many freaking lawsuits to the point where they are a lot of times not even really concerned with helping you. They are more concerned with making sure you can't sue them if they help you. And unfortunately, weight, your body size, comes into play because medications and surgeries, depending on the medication, depending on the surgery, has a greater risk of harm for people in bigger bodies. And that is just the long and short of it. Like we talked about that on Instagram a lot about, you know, medications don't work for people in bigger bodies. Surgery is more dangerous for someone in a bigger body. And because that's what your doctor has available to you, they might just turn you out if you are not the size that they are prepared to safely treat. And I think as well, sometimes like I, I think there's so much to it. And sometimes it's also comes down to the equipment that they have, like the bed size mm-hmm. that they purchased was for was the particular model that went for a particular weight. Like they would need mm-hmm. to upgrade their equipment. Like it just comes down to so many different factors. But I think it's really important. A lot of the time we'll look at doctors, like their white coats, and I don't think we can always put all of our eggs in that basket and be like, this is the one and only thing that's going to help me because it they just come from it from a different standpoint. And I Mm -hmm. talk about it on Instagram all the time that people will be like, this has happened. And I'm like, maybe it's time to look outside the box, go see a dietitian, go see a nutritionist, go see a naturopath, Mm -hmm. go see a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner. They're going to run different tests. They're going to have a look at things from a different perspective and they're going to give you completely different. They have different tools. Yeah, that's really what it comes down to. Your doctor has two tools, medication and surgery. Mm-hmm. And if and if those are not the tools for your situation or you cannot safely use those tools at this time because of your body size, because of your age, because of your pre-existing medical condition, you know, whatever else, then your doctor's like, "Well, I've only got two tools. It's like I got a hammer and a screwdriver. If it needs to be pounded or screwed, oh man, let me tell you, fertility can't <laughs> I didn't mean to make that joke. But uh <laughs> If it, if it needs to be either of those two things, those are the tools I have. Do you need a saw? It's something that uses a saw. Well, I don't have a saw. I have a hammer and a screwdriver. So that's what I've got. I, I'm the worst handyman in the world. This is what I show up with, right? So that's kind of where your doctor's at. And I'm explaining this. We're going to get into kind of what to do about weight bias and stuff like that. But I just, I'm explaining this because I think not a lot of people understand why a doctor might say you need to lose weight or come back when you're smaller. Um, But a big piece of it is they are mitigating risk and they're protecting themselves from liability legally. And also they have this vow, the Hippocratic oath to do no harm. And when you are in a bigger body, depending on how big that body, a pregnancy may not be healthy for you. And as much as your heart longs to be a mother. And as much as that is a valid and beautiful desire, we have to also think about pregnancy outcomes when there is overweight 
or obesity or severe obesity, when that's in the picture, different risks to you and risks to your baby occur. And we're not talking about like, oh, um, you're going to have more back pain. We're talking about potentially lifelong disability for this baby or even death. The risk of stillbirth, for instance, increases greatly when you are in a bigger body. And I got to tell you, working with these women, after you've had a loss like that, I have had women that are like, I wish I would have just lost the damn weight. I wish I would have just taken that time and ate better and worked out and done whatever it took so that this wouldn't have happened to me. Mm. And I'm sure that being overweight wasn't the only reason that she lost that baby, but it absolutely contributed. And when your doctor sees this day in and day out, and I got to say, when I worked in the hospital, I saw these, I worked in the NICU and I saw these women that were, and I'm not saying everybody who's overweight is unhealthy because that is absolutely not true. But I saw women that were overweight and very unhealthy because of it. And they, their babies were very sick. And the reason that they were able to become pregnant is because doctors had done all kinds of fertility treatments and done all these things to make their body be pregnant, even though they were sick and overweight. And now here they are with a very sick baby who is, some of these babies were never going to be well. They, mm-hmm. they had, they were going to have a lifelong disability, a shorter life, a life of pain and struggle because of the health and because of the health of the mother and a weight was a piece of that. So your doctor is not just a fat phobic a-hole, <laughs> maybe he is, but we're talking about fertility is very interesting because it's, we're not just your life. We're working on you making another life. And what's that life going to be if you are really overweight and being really overweight. And I don't really know how to measure what's really overweight, but being overweight is a risk factor in of itself. And that isn't universally true, but when we, when we look at a population, like if we took a thousand people and we looked at women of reproductive age, whose weight was more than 300 pounds, let's say more than what is that? 160 kilos, 140 kilos, um, more than 140 kilos, or maybe I've got this completely wrong, but yeah, I think it's around there. I here on pounds anyway. So yeah. Okay. So it, oh, you do pounds in Australia? No, we do kilos, but oh. like oh. we generally, it's like 2.2 or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Us Americans are the ones that have this really stupid measuring system. But anyway, so you more than, let's say more than 300 pounds, Mm. women of reproductive age that weigh more than 300 pounds. If we looked at a thousand people out of those thousand people, the vast majority of them would have really health consequences that are the result of having more body than their organs can handle. Mm. And when we then make these women become pregnant, again, if you are that size and you want to try to conceive on your own, I firmly believe no one should ever tell you no. But when you start coming to someone else for help, they ethically have to consider what am I doing in making someone, you know, almost when we're talking about like embryo implantation, we're almost kind of forcing the body to become pregnant. 
when you are of that size, there are health risks. So that's something that doctors are thinking of. And that's part of why you can get this kind of like cold, calloused, come back when you're smaller answer. And it's not a judgment on you. It's, I can't really help you in good conscience unless your body is a, first of all, of a size that's going to respond to these medications or be candidate for surgery. And secondly, to where we have a reasonable expectation that a healthy pregnancy can result. So, this is like such a bummer, my God. (laughs) No, well, but I really, I mean, for anyone who's listening, who is in a bigger body and, you know, from so many people that I've worked with though, sometimes my bugbear is that the weight is like, it's not, sometimes the weight is a byproduct of other stuff like inflammation, oh. like PCOS. Always. And, yeah. we, you know, so I feel frequently. like we get dismissed at the fertility, like the fertility clinic's just like BMI. Absolutely. And I mean, BMI Absolutely. is BMI. a bullshit metric. <laughs> it is a bullshit metric. So BMI is great for populations. Like I said, if we got a thousand people and we looked at everybody over 300 pounds and then we would be able to say, okay, yeah, those people are obese in a population. Those people have more heart disease. They have more diabetes, blah, 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 blah. But when we're looking at one person, Hmm. it's not the case. And that is my bugbear as well when it comes to medicine is we can't, all these medical studies we do, right? We're doing them on large populations and we're looking at what happened to the population. And that's all well and good. And that's very valuable. But what happens when I'm sitting there with an individual? Mm-hmm. What happens when I'm sitting there with you, Robin, and you are the one that wants to become pregnant? Do I just act like you are the exact same as the other 500 people that are of your same age and weight and everything like that? That's what medicine does. And I think that that is wrong. I think it's lazy. I think it needs to change. And that is a part of why weight becomes this big deal where we don't look at, okay, so here's this person, this person, this woman comes in, she wants to get pregnant. She weighs 300 pounds. Oh my God. For all I know, she used to weigh 500 pounds Mm -hmm. and now, and she's lost 200 pounds and I'm going to tell her, oh, you need to lose weight. Goodbye. Like maybe she already did, you know? But also, I didn't even ask her. Look, like, let's have a look at and ask further and be detectives. Like, let's ask someone, what is your lifestyle? And let's actually consider, you mentioned do no harm, and I know that you think this as well. Every woman, just like bigger bodied or not, who I've ever worked with has been on a fucking diet before. Women with bigger bodies are so conscious every day of like every time and everything that they eat, they're so conscious. They've been on every diet already under the sun and many of them are recovering from eating disorders. Eating disorders, yes. Do no harm. Looking at someone and just being like, bye until your BMI is 25 or whatever. 
and then and sending someone it. home with yeah. their disordered eating habits where the only way they know how to lose weight is incredibly destructive and unhealthy. It's to, in my opinion, I mean, I used to work in eating disorder recovery very briefly and I, I guess I have a little bit of a different perspective on that. I see eating just disordered eating behavior the same way I see like addiction. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, they're almost like addicted to doing these, this eating disorder behavior and telling someone with a history of eating disorders to lose weight. I don't see it any different than telling someone who is a recovering alcoholic to just have a couple drinks and relax. Like that person is not capable of having a couple drinks and relaxing to them. That is a loaded gun. And that is roulette. That is so destructive. Telling somebody with a history of disordered eating to have a couple drinks, or I'm sorry, to lose weight. You are sending them. You have no idea what this person could do to lose weight. You have no idea what, it, that is so dangerous, so dangerous. And it, what does it take to ask somebody? I, I just don't think it's that hard to be like, okay, well, clearly your weight's an issue. They know it. It's no one, no one is going to be like, what? No, I thought I was a bean pole. Like never, they know. So saying, okay, this is, I, you want to be a mom. Hooray. Great. Let's get you there. Here's something that I see as a barrier right now, the weight. So before we get going, you know, right, and explain to them these medications we use, Clomid, Letrozole, clinically tested on women that weigh less than 170 pounds. So it's not really that safe or even effective to give you this medication at this weight. So I, I, I can't even really treat you until we get your weight closer to 170 pounds. Um, not that everyone has to be 170 pounds. It's just kind of the median, you know, give or take some weight in each direction. So before I can treat you, before I can give you these medications, which is really the only thing that I've got, um, I need, we need to do something about your weight. So let's work on that. What have you tried? What are you willing to do? What do you want to do? Because if someone is like, I am big and beautiful, I do not want to lose weight, don't talk to me about losing weight, they'll be like, okay, that's fine. These medications aren't an option for you, but you you are then okay. Then then we know we need to find something else for you because these medications are not an option for you. You love the way you love your size. That's your right. Um, so we gotta find something else for you. But also and, um, test like are you hypothyroid? Do you have PCOS? Do you like, do you have really high inflammation? Like, let's actually just, you're see right. There's some other stuff there. You are right. Because at this point in my mind, when I was describing that just now, I'm assuming that this person, this doctor even looked into somebody's health, which is so often, so often not the case. Mm-hmm. They just, yeah. I mean, let's look at why is this happening? How do you eat? Do you exercise? Let's even that aside, before someone is even going to try to become a mom, let's look at what's your vitamin D? What's your thyroid up to? I mean, are you ovulating? Are you even ovulating? Let's check that out. Yeah, is PCOS, I mean, P- one of the symptoms of PCOS is weight gain. So we're looking at that point as a symptom, the same as 
anovulation, um, hair growth, acne, these are all symptoms of PCOS. So weight gain is just another symptom. So we need to kind of look at that as the picture of this whole PCOS. Mm. And, and just like symptoms of anything else, not everyone has the same symptoms. There are people with PCOS whose hair is not falling out. They're not losing their hair. There are people with PCOS that don't have acne. There are people with PCOS where weight gain is not one of their symptoms. Their PCOS is just as valid as somebody else's. We like, yeah, you're absolutely right. We need to look at that, look at these symptoms, look at this person as a whole, what's going on with you. And obviously, you know, I'm a dietitian, So my approach isn't let's lose weight. My approach is let's get your PCOS managed. Let's get your, if you don't have PCOS, regardless of your weight, let's work on eating the right things at the right times. Let's work on getting your um, B vitamins up. Let's work on getting your fiber up. Let's work on getting your blood sugar where it needs to be. Let's do all of these things that need to happen to support fertility, regardless of the size of your body. Mm -hmm. I have patients like myself, I gained weight when I needed to start trying to conceive. I was too lean, too skinny, working out like crazy. I had all kinds of problems. I gained. And I see patients like that every day. Mm-hmm. Some women lose. And guess what? Both people are eating the exact same things, mm-hmm. are, are, are exercising very similarly. We, I don't say, let's lose weight. I say, let's get your nutrition in line. Let's get your exercise in line. Let's get your sleep, your stress, your supplements. Let's get all, let's your health, your uh, home care products. Like let's get it all together. And if you lose weight, great. If you don't, that's also fine. I see patients all the time where, I mean, I, I don't really have patients that are would be categorized as like severely obese or anything like that. Not yet. Not that I'm, you know, I'm not opposed to working with someone like that. I just haven't had anyone of that size come across my desk yet. Um, But I do have women that are, you know, a a bit bigger, I would say. And um, when I'm working with them, I see sometimes no change in their body weight, yet they're ovulating regularly, their vitamin D is up, all of their progesterone's higher, they're like everything about their fertility has greatly improved, but the number on the scale hasn't changed, their pant size hasn't changed, they are, their body looks pretty much the same, but their fertility has greatly changed. And that is entirely possible as well. Ah, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to quickly jump in and express how grateful I am that you're here today. Just to let you know that if you'd like more emotional well-being, resilience and conception tips to check out my programs and services, you can find me on my website at robinburken.com or on Instagram at robinburken. All right, let's get back to it. I think I just think it's so important that that like we look beyond the weight because I don't, it's a symptom, not 
like a condition and I feel sometimes like it's this isn't a doctor bashing session, but I know that it's sounding a bit like I'm doing that. But I also feel like... Go for it, because I defended them like a little too much at the beginning, I think. So you okay. go for it. All right. But I feel like it's someone who's been trying to build a bird aviary for two years, and then a doctor says, come back when you've built a bird aviary. And it's like, can someone fucking tell me how? How? I've actually been trying for two yeah. years and actually all oh, I want are birds my in my garden, which, you know, like a bird aviary is not going to be the be all and the end all of getting more bees in, or birds in my garden. Uh, I just, yeah. you know, yeah, I just feel like it's really disempowering. 110%. Yeah. So much of the time it's like, yeah, obviously. So how am I supposed to get there? And that is, therein lies my rub with being told to lose weight. You can tell someone to drink more water. You can tell someone to exercise differently. You can tell someone to eat this or don't eat that or whatever, because that's an action that you can just go do. If I tell you to go drink water, you can open your mouth and swallow water right now. Uh, you can't just lose weight. It, it, you can't just go do it. It's not a thing that you can just do yeah. like if we it, look at it, hair loss yeah like, come back hey and uh grow like, hair oh, wow <laughs> oh your your hair's falling out okay grow hair there yeah. you go oh you have a beard stop growing hair on your face there you go it's like it I don't know how I can't and and there are things that like some of us seem obvious about like, what can I do to lose weight? And some people do know what they need to do. Some people, when I'm like, okay, what do you think we should start with? They're immediately like, well, you know, my trough of popcorn and my half a bottle of wine every night after dinner, like that is something that I can let go. I know right now that is a piece of why I'm, why I'm getting, what was that? I said, I feel personally attacked. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying this because one of my girlfriends recently lost like 50 pounds and I was like, what the hell? Like, how did this happen? And she was like, oh my gosh. She's like, really? The question is how did I let myself gain that 50 pounds? And she'd had a death in the family and there, there been you know four back-to-back -back pregnancies and she'd had a lot of things go on that contributed to that gain but one of them was she was like eating a trough she called it a trough of butter popcorn and at least half a bottle of wine every night after the kids went to bed and she was like this has got to stop she was starting to you know be pre-diabetic and her blood pressure was coming up and she was like okay I gotta quit the popcorn and wine and um but that's just for her she knew immediately like this is a really unhealthy practice. And some people coming into this, they know, they know, like, all right, I know that I've been eating this or not exercising, or I know that my, you know, working 60 hours a week and sleeping four hours a night, like that has got to change. And there are things that people know, as soon as I, you know, mention it, they know there's a big piece that they can identify. But for a lot of women and those of you listening, you're like, I haven't even, I haven't even had one glass of wine in like two freaking years since I've been trying to conceive. Like popcorn, please. I'm like eating celery sticks for my snack. Um, so for these women, 
telling them to lose weight, they're like, freaking how? Like, I, I, I'm at my wits end. I'm already going like 110%. What more is there? And, you know, sometimes I do find something. Sometimes I'm like, all right, sister, well, what we need to do is get you sleeping and not, you know, staying up so late, working on all these work emails, stressing yourself out to the nth degree. And we need to actually get you resting and managing some of this stress. And then, you know, they, their fertility changes and stuff like that. But um, sometimes they just can't see the forest for the trees. Sometimes there's something really big that's the issue. And sometimes we work on your fertility and it greatly improves and your weight doesn't change one ounce. And I think that's really you know, important. And this is kind of, I guess, my last question or point is we've got to stop looking at stuff in bubbles, right? Like stress. Got to stop this one not, size fits all yeah. approach. And like, it's not one bubble is diet. One bubble is stress and emotional coping. One bubble <laughs> is, only. is, you know, often yeah. the cause of eating disorders is trauma and stress. The way to that the weight will drop off is actually not necessary. You know, this is the person who's eating the celery sticks and actually might have like be tipped into completely like calorie deficit eating that's then going to stop her metabolism working really well. Shut her ovaries down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or like we just, we, you know, get ourselves just so stressed that it starts to impact our hormones. It starts to impact our metabolism. It's all every, it's all connected. It's absolutely connected. And as you know, listeners, there are some great ways to manage weight. We can, that, that will also support fertility, like drinking less sugary sweetened beverages and drinking more water, eating more brightly colored fruits and vegetables, adding protein in at every meal, moving your body in ways that you enjoy, sleeping uh, every night a good amount, um, lowering your stress, like all of these things can impact your weight and you can lose weight, some people, by doing these things. Um, and that is all well and good. There are ways to lose weight that will not support your fertility. You can slash your calories and lose a ton of weight. And it tells your ovaries to stop ovulating because you're starving. There are ways that you can exercise that bring your stress hormones through the roof. Like I had a PCOS patient who gained 40 pounds while training for a marathon. She was running every day, running her little face off every day, gaining, 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 because her appetite for carbs was out of control. She was, her stress hormones were through the roof. She was not ovulating and she was, her metabolism was just getting more and more and more conservative with every step she ran. And she was getting worse and worse and worse at burning calories, the more she ran. So we had to switch her around to strength training. We had to cut the endurance training. We had to work on her recovery. We had to work on the way she was eating and, you know, praise the Lord. She lost those 40 pounds and she is now pregnant with her third child. But, um, you know, for her, the way she was exercising was not healthy for her fertility at all. And 
we, you wouldn't think that, right? You'd think like, here's this person, oh, lose weight, she starts running, that's great. Not always great. There are ways, especially when we're talking about underlying hormone issues, where your the way that you go about losing weight, even if you're doing something that seems really healthy and isn't like an extreme diet, might not be the best move. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I do. I mean, my work, I have, I don't have to be like a doctor. I don't have to turn anybody away if they are of a different size because my interventions are good for everyone at any size. I can come up with something for you to do no matter your body size, and it can improve your fertility from where you are. And maybe your weight will change, maybe it won't. I really work with my patients and tell them you need to embrace whatever direction your body goes in while you're trying to conceive. Some of them, like for me, I had to let go of a lot of my identity as this like fitness lady And some people have to let go of their identity of like big, beautiful and embrace the fact that their weight is changing as they go to get pregnant. For some people, it's just as traumatic to go the other direction. So yeah, weight change is sometimes needed, but the way you get there matters. (laughs) Absolutely. And you can shift your focus from the number on the scale to instead of I'm going to lose five pounds, how about I'm going to eat protein for breakfast? How about instead of I'm going to fit into these size pants or I'm going to have this or that BMI, I am going to exercise three days this week. Uh, I'm going to sleep eight hours tonight, or I'm at least going to lay in bed for eight hours tonight. I'm going to close my laptop an hour before bed, blah, 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 blah you can decide what that looks like. And maybe that's going to impact your weight. Maybe it's not. My, my uh, step tracker just went off because I'm gesticulating <laughs> my hands so much. It thinks I'm walking. Um, you get to, you can do a lot of things that improve your fertility that, that you can actually do, and they will impact your fertility. You can't just do things and be like, oh, this is going to definitely make me lose weight. It, it doesn't always work like that. I hope that makes sense. I mean, yeah. listeners, you, you know that like, yeah, you can't just like lose five pounds. Like you can water your lawn. There's more to it than that. So what we're going to do is let's sum up, I guess, some of the key things and the key messages that we have today. Then we're going to, for anyone out there who wants to know more about Sophia, we'll do that. And then we'll go into a bit of a speed round with a few little easy questions, just three easy questions. Okay. okay. So some of the key messages are, Let's look beyond BMI and let's look beyond weight. Let's look at some tests. Let's look at like lifestyle that sometimes your doctor doesn't have the answers for you because their focus is on litigation, like yes, what, medica- what medications they can prescribe and what surgeries they can conduct. So they might not have the answers Uh, And let's be honest, especially in the United States, they don't have, there's not a lot dedicated within their learning to diet and nutrition. No. Your weight is often a symptom and not necessarily, like of something else that might be going on. And that sustainable and healthy weight loss is probably going to be better for your fertility 
than, you know, like extreme exercise or extreme like low calorie diet. Or like whatever you would want to call it. Like people are like, okay, I'm going to not eat any more meat or dairy at all or I'm going full keto, or I'm going to be a vegan, or I'm going to go carb-free, gluten-free, whatever. The extreme diets, yeah, not as helpful as actually focusing on fueling your ovaries, your body for fertility. And that's what I do. That's my whole thing is like fueling your body for fertility. That's my bread and butter. Nice. So I must know more. Can you tell us about where people can go to find you, where they Absolutely. can do all the stuff that you've got. Okay, here's my plug. So um, I am getting ready to launch another round of my Fertility Nutrition Foundations course. And this is a six-week course that teaches you everything from like how to build your meals and snacks, what your plate should be looking like. I go through exercise, self-care, um, I just basically everything that you would need to know to build the foundation for a fertile future. I put that all into this course. And that is the main way to find me to work with me right now. Um, Cause I am, I can't take on any more private clients right now. So I put this course together mm-hmm. and put like everything I know into it so that when you come out of this course, you know, the basics more than the basics. You, you've, you've got like 80% of the hard work done just from this course. And then I will be accepting course graduates as private clients afterwards. So if you go through this and you still need extra help, then you can work with me. And I started doing this because before I went on maternity leave, I had this patient and I was going through all this different stuff with her. And we got to a certain point where I was, she was asking me about rice. And I explained how um, I said something about like, well, the rice would be your carb source. And she said, wait, rice is a carb. And I, nothing against this woman, this was a failure on my behalf. Mm-hmm. How had I missed that with her? Here's this person that I'm talking about, all of these advanced nutrition things and her supplements and everything else. And this poor woman did not even understand what foods were carbs and which were fats. And she had, she didn't know. And, and she had spent money to work with me and we were coming to the end of our time together. And I had failed her so greatly. So I decided never again, I put this course together so that after someone comes through this, I can sit down with them and work with them one-on-one. And I know that they know what they're already eating this and that they're already doing all the right things. And now I can sit with them and fine tune that into something that's going to work for them individually. So that's, uh, that's my new deal coming out um, here in August. Is that us only, or is that a global thing? That is global. Yes. that, That was, thank you for mentioning that. That's the second piece is I was so sad about having to turn these women away who wanted to be moms, but lived in Uganda or lived in Israel or lived in Tasmania or wherever. And I was like, I'm sorry, my license doesn't permit me to work with you. So you can do this course from anywhere in the world. However, the the working with me option afterwards, unfortunately, is only for people in the US. But you can take this course, no matter who you are or where you are, and it's self-paced. So even though I'm launching, you know, each, each module at midnight on Sundays, 
you can do it at any time. You have access to the materials for three months after. So you, there's no, you know, time zone problems. So I kind of solved that issue with this course as well. So um, if you are interested, if you want to find me, my Instagram handle, which is where this course is going to be advertised and available for sale, is ttc.nutritionist. All right. That's me on Instagram. Um, my website is also, I have it available through there. And that's sophiathedietitian.com because I'm Sophia the Dietitian. And uh, and if you want to hear more, you loved me on this podcast, I actually have a podcast that I co-host with Caitlin Johnson, who is a PCOS specialist, and it's called Food Freedom Fertility. So the exact same place where you're listening to this podcast, you can look up Food Freedom Fertility and find my podcast. So are you ready for a little bit of a speed round? Speed round, yeah. Do you have, now none of this has to be fertility related. Do you okay. have a book that you recommend everyone reads? A book that I wrote besides the Bible, probably. Um, let's see. Uh, a book that I recommend that everybody read. I'm thinking of so many right now. Um, I would say, you know what? Read Make Your Bed by Admiral McRaven. Cool. Have you read that one yet? No, I've never even heard of it, actually. Uh, okay, I'm a big so. advocate of making my bed every day as part of a healthy uh, routine. Oh, so. Yeah, Admiral McRaven, he, um, he's a retired Navy SEAL, U.S. Navy SEAL. And um, he wrote a book about making your bed every morning because no matter what you do in the day, that's a task that was accomplished and it was accomplished by you. Yes. And when you get into bed at night, you're getting into a bed that you made. And uh, so he kind of just kind of goes into like his experience as a Navy SEAL. It's a short read um, and he just kind of explains, it's about like getting in the mindset of you being able to accomplish the things that your life requires. Yeah. And for some of us, life requires some difficult stuff and it can start with making your bed. So I would say that would be the first, that would be a book that I recommend besides the Bible, I guess, because that's the book that's ruled most of my life. But Who's going to just sit down and read that? Not even I do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a long read. Um, it's a long read. <laughs> do you have a quote or affirmation that you are always called back to? You know, this year, the quote that I come back to most, it's a Bible verse that says that weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And that is a quote that I held on to. I think, do I have it printed right here? No, but um, that's a quote that I have held on to. Um, when I finally got pregnant with my baby girl, I actually went into labor at 20 weeks mm -hmm. and I almost lost her. And the doctor said that I was going to lose her by the grace of God. And thanks to my very skilled midwives, um, I was able to carry her all the way to 38 weeks. And she was born at home, completely healthy. But during that time, I just repeated that to myself, that this is a season that weeping may last for a night, but joy will come in the morning. And I would say the other quote is another Bible verse that says that the current trial that you're under does not compare to the joy that's set before you, that what you're experiencing now, no matter how hard the difficulty now doesn't even compare in magnitude to the joy that it's coming for you. And those are two quotes, Bible verses really, but that I 
hold on to in my life and held on to deeply during my time, my pregnancy, my time trying to conceive. And I actually, my baby's middle name is Joy because of that. Because I I just, she was going to be my joy. And I was, I was just like, I didn't even, I refused. I was like, I am not losing this pregnancy. I am not losing this baby. This is it. She's going to be my joy. And I, that just come hell or high water. That's where we're going with this. Oh, that's beautiful. So those are my two. And do you have, if there's last one, if there's one message or something that you just wanted the world to scream to the world, what would it be? That your desire to be a mom is beautiful and it is important and it is good. And your work to try to conceive is sacred work. And you are not wrong for wanting to have a baby. It is awesome. Now, there are many ways to become a mom and all of them bring their own challenges and their own beauty. You can decide what's right for you. But that desire to pour your love into a child and to impart on this next generation, a child who has been loved and nurtured and cared for and taught right from wrong and taught how to be strong and compassionate and to fight for what's right in this world. We need more of that. So your desire to be a parent, to be a mom is good. And don't let anyone tell you that it's wrong. I have seen so much toxic feminism where people are just saying that it is disempowering and wrong and bad or whatever to try to have a baby. And I think that is absolute a lie from the pit of hell. It is beautiful that you want to be a mom. Pursue that. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're so welcome. We That's not had... too intense for you. <laughs> no. So I think, you know, sometimes we need to have these discussions where we talk about hard things and there's many different nuances to trying to conceive and there's many different things that we need to consider, especially when it comes to weight. Uh, and getting pregnant. So thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. You are so welcome. And we will catch you everyone next week. Bye. Well, that's another episode in the bag. But before you go, I want to let you know three quick things. Number one, did you know that every time you leave me a review on iTunes, it helps Apple and other podcast players push the podcast out to more listeners? I would be ever so grateful for a review if you think The Fertility Warriors has been helpful for you. Number two, I'm on Instagram every single day and I'd love to connect and get to know you there where I share a ton more tips and advice. You can find me at Robin Birkin. Number three, we also have a free Facebook group with thousands of the most incredibly supportive, kind and helpful warriors I know. You can search for it on Facebook at Fertility Warriors Support and Chat Group. Well, that's me for this week. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you'll be notified when next week's episode drops. I'll catch you then. Bye.